Welcome to the Nuggets, Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schubert. For this podcast about all things Denver Nuggets, going to be joined today by Mike Singer, our Nuggets beat writer, to talk about a wild five days between the NBA draft and free agency. Jeremy Grant's gone. Jermichael Green is here. R.J. Hampton. And, of course, the Drew Holiday trade that never happened but we wish had. All that and more coming up next. And here we are, back with Mike Singer after, what is it, like a year? When's the last time we did this, Mike? I I can't even remember when the last time. The whole world went on a hiatus, so we figured we would go on one, too. Yes, yes, it's true. Um, uh, long story short, uh, technologically speaking, uh, took us a while to figure out, and us, that means me, not Mike. Uh, blame me, Matt Schubert, for the entire thing. This is why you have not gotten your Nuggets, Inc. podcast since, uh, like, October of 2019. Remember those days, October of 2019? No, I don't. I can actually see each other in person rather than doing this over a, a Zoom phone call. Oh, man, what, what, what a time that was. Uh, and also, the season had already started. Uh, now, we're, uh, we just finished up the draft in November, followed by three and a half to four days of crazy free agency. Um, the most unique offseason, I think, uh, that I can recall in NBA history uh, we're lucky that there weren't a bunch of huge names out there uh, on on the uh, free agent list, but certainly uh, some big moves in, in the Nuggets. Uh, I, I don't want to say cataclysmic. That'd be overstating it. But certainly uh, there were some tremors the last five days. I would call it unnerving, unsettling, dispiriting, uh, at least those first two to three hours of NBA free agency on Friday night. Uh, you know, the Nuggets were extremely confident that Jeremy Grant was coming back to Denver. Um, they had projected it. I had been told, uh, I had been hearing that there was a ton of confidence and a lot of belief that he was going to be their starting power forward, moving forward and not just moving forward, but they had basically penciled him in for years. Like this was supposed to happen. And then, um, you know, news comes down, Jeremy Grant's going to Detroit three years, $60 million. Like I had to make sure that when I saw it on Twitter, that the D was Detroit, not Denver, because I did like a, I did like a triple take. Um, I was not ready for that. Like, like I said, I had been hearing as early as Friday morning that the nuggets felt extremely confident that he was going to be back. And, and, and frankly, they went into, uh, you know, the, the, the draft two days earlier and their free agency period thinking that this was going to be the case. And if you look in retrospect, if, if there was any consideration or any possibility that he wasn't going to be the starting power forward or he was going to leave for Detroit, that information would have been pretty significant for the Nuggets front office to know. So, um, I I just think that, you know, it was a gut punch. There's no other way to say it. And, you know, to their credit, they pivoted in what I think is a respectable, productive way. 
Jamichael Green, they they ended up signing him Friday night. Um, two years, $15 million. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's kind of a, a veteran, uh, defensive power forward who can play kind of the three, four and the five, at least guard the three, four and the five, obviously more of a traditional power forward, but in the interim, he is a more traditional power forward and an adequate semi-adequate replacement for what Jeremy Grant did in the postseason. So, um, given how bad it could have been as opposed to what it ultimately became, I think the nuggets can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. What, what do you think? What, what are the long-term ramifications of this? I, I think a lot of people, they probably think right off the bat, well, okay, you didn't pay him his money. Why don't you just use that on somebody else? Obviously that's not how the cap works. Uh, and they were sort of hamstrung in that way. So, so what, what happens now? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought you were asking from the perspective of what are the implications when a guy who they assumed was going to stay with them leaves. Yes. It, that is what you're asking. Okay. Yes. yes. Um, I mean, l- let's look big picture. Like they traded a first round pick for this guy. They had him for a year. Uh, this isn't like a guy who was homegrown, who they assumed was going to stay for a while um, or who they at least knew for a long time and could really settle roots into the rotation, into the culture. So from that perspective, you can give the nuggets a little bit of an out. Um, I've seen people criticize the nuggets for not having a, a contingency plan. And from my perspective, if you can offer a playoff contending you know, a, a allegedly title contending team, uh, the power forward spot, and you offer the same amount of money, which is what the Denver Nuggets did uh, for Jeremy Grant. They offered three years, 60 million. And you also have a prior relationship, believing that he's going to stay. You can feel pretty good that what you thought was going to happen comes to fruition. I don't, I'm not ready to rake them over the coals for this. I really do think that they were blindsided. It, it really, it, it, from what I've been told, it comes down to role and the fact that he can be a, a number two, number three option in Detroit, as opposed to being a clear cut number four option in Denver. And, you know, I also reported that this past season, Jeremy Grant felt like he sacrificed by coming off the bench, playing behind Paul Millsap. Um, which, you know, could be valid. Uh, I think there's some truth to that, but if we're talking in the NBA hierarchy, they're not going to sit a $30 million power forward who has, who they invested a ton in, in Paul Millsap for a guy who they traded for, who they view being a long-term piece and will get the starting power forward spot shortly. So Just I'm, interrupt not ready, you there. I'm not ready to pan the nuggets yet. Let, let me interrupt you on that. So did, Michael Malone and uh, Nuggets management air and not handing over the starting role to him sooner, which is to say it was pretty obvious that Jeremy Grant was better than Paul Millsap last year. Millsap started off strong, if you recall, uh, but but sort of uh, faded down the stretch and certainly in the bubble wasn't the player he was at in November and December of last year. Did the Nuggets air and not giving – uh, Jeremy Grant, that bigger role as far as being a starter uh, sooner. Does, I'm not gonna does that change? That, I'm not going to put that on Tim Connolly because Tim Connolly um, is very careful uh, to not to mix church and state. 
he, every time I've talked to Tim, he's like, that's going to be a Mo decision. That's, that's coach Michael Malone. He's going to decide who plays. He's not going to meddle. And I think that that's kind of just a, a nuggets front office philosophy. I'm sure that they have opinions on that, but I don't think that they necessarily are liberally offering those opinions. Um, because frankly, you know, they do their job. Malone and his staff does their job. Uh, Malone, did go to Jeremy Grant. He started 16 and 19 games in the postseason. Right. Big caveat. Will Barton wasn't there. <laughs> yes. Right. So um look, 2020, yeah, they aired. I don't mean 2020 of the year. I mean <laughs> side, they aired. Like, like, but I will say this: Michael Malone did use Jeremy Grant in crunch time. Isn't it always more important who's playing at the end of games as opposed to the beginning of games? Like towards the end of the season, he was playing in crunch time over Paul Millsap and there wasn't even questions about it. It was like, yeah, this is the right call. So, you know, maybe you do a little bit of window dressing on the front end in the fact that, you know, Paul Millsap is your, your everyday starter. But when it really came down to it, Jeremy Grant was, I think I, I don't have this in front of me. I think Jeremy Grant ended up playing equal or if not a little bit more minutes per game than Paul Millsap. So, you know, I don't know how is, much is there, is there, sorry to interrupt. So, okay. um, is, was there any indication you're, you see these guys all the time, uh, uh certainly pre COVID you saw them all the time in person and in the locker room. Was there any indication to you, uh, that Jeremy Grant didn't seem totally happy that maybe he was displeased with what was going on. So, I I don't, I would say that there was not ample evidence to suggest that Jeremy Grant's a quiet guy. He's hard to get a read on. I've talked to him. I don't know, a dozen times throughout the season, just like one-on-one and he's just quiet. He he's sometimes his answers are very short. He's a little bit cagey. Um, at the same time, I think his, his teammates loved him. Like I've heard he was one of the funnier ones in the locker room, kind of just like a sleeping giant who would always say interject funny things. So I do think that um, I didn't have a perfect read on him as much as I do say Jokic or Jamal, who, who are more outspoken, vibrant personalities. Um, the one thing that I don't know how much truth there is to this, but let's just let's just acknowledge that Jokic and Murray are the two fixtures. OK, and we know their their age timeline. The next guy in line, the red carpet's already been rolled out for Michael Porter Jr., right? He's he's the second coming He's this six foot 10 dude who can, you know, is going to be in a three point contest someday. Like he, he can rebound like nobody's business. Like he's a rare talent for six foot 10. If I'm Jeremy Grant, I might be sitting in that locker room and they were about five locker room stalls apart. And I might be looking like I see who's coming and Porter is real. And if I'm being honest with myself, Michael Porter jr. Is a better shooter than I am. So if I'm going to really assess the pecking order of this Nuggets team moving forward, uh, Michael Porter Jr. is going to be ahead of me and they are going to cater the offense to him. So whatever shots I thought I had coming, they might, I, I might be one more rung down lower. So uh, to, to your question, I never got any sense that there was any animosity or anything like that. But if I'm thinking logically, then there are three people who clearly deserve the ball more than Jeremy Grant, uh, even if he would have gotten paid an obscene twenty million a year. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good read there. So, 
the the big fallout here, at least in my opinion, and you you might disagree, is uh, on the defensive end of the floor. Um, in addition to losing Grant, uh, Tory Craig is gone too. He's he's off to uh, excuse me, I forget where did Milwaukee. He, Milwaukee, excuse me. Interesting pickup for Milwaukee. Um, and uh, Plumlee also went to Detroit. Somehow Detroit raiding uh, the Nuggets uh, locker room. Midwest uh, raid. <laughs> um, so. Who is their defensive stopper now? Who's the guy like we we need somebody to to guard their wing, their big wing, like Kawhi Leonard, uh, LeBron James, uh, someone of that stature? Is it? I mean, Gary Harris isn't big enough for that. You feel like who who is that going to be? No, the answer is not great. It's uh, it's some combination of Gary on the low end, Jamichael Green on the high end. And back in kind of the middle end might be PJ Dozier that he has good size. The nuggets trusts him defensively. He came up big in the postseason. I'm not saying those are great answers. They're okay options. Um, I also don't think that problem is going to manifest until April or may. And by that time, perhaps someone emerges, um, Perhaps the Nuggets make a deal before the trade deadline, recognizing that they're getting cooked on the wing. Uh, you know, if Will Barton's healthy, maybe Will Barton comes back and can be a, a plus on the defensive end. He was he was a positive defensive uh, player last year, and there were times where he asked to guard a Paul George type player and did pretty well. So there are guys, but like Tory Craig was kind of just a chess piece that you could deploy and, and say he's going to go be an irritant and really. Uh, offer resistance to Donovan Mitchell, to Aluka. He had Tory Craig has great size, and it like when you only give Tory Craig one responsibility, which is to annoy the other team's best perimeter guy, he does pretty damn well at it. So um, I, I think that you know, and, and also if you look back at kind of the tr- the timeline of what happened the free agency, uh, I, I have I I, I feel very pretty confident in that part of the Nuggets pitch to Jermichael Green was that. He is going to be a focal point of the defense um, and they are going to use him. He is going to be a a necessity, an integral part of what they're doing. So, you know, I I have a feeling that they're telling him, like, we're going to need you all over the place. You are going to play a vital role. uh, And however far we go, Uh, that being said, I'm not convinced the Nuggets are done um, adding adding pieces on a defensive wing. So add it all up. And, and we'll get into the draft after this, but uh, uh, just to, to wrap a nice little bow on this, if you're if you're looking at where the Nuggets are now and what they have accumulated and lost um, on the offensive defensive ends, and what say the Lakers, the Clippers, um, some of these other contenders have taken. What, have they gotten uh, better, worse, stayed the same? What, what is your your initial read on where they're at in relation to those other teams. I think that, I think that they have likely gotten worse. I want to see it on the court. I'm not, they certainly haven't gotten better, but it just depends how quickly this team coalesces and galvanizes before I, we can kind of tell how big of a step back they took. Was it might've been two steps back on Friday night, um, and now it's a step, step and a half back, given who they plugged, um, plugged to kind of fill that Jeremy Grant hole. Um, so I, I don't think this is like a disaster zone yet. 
Um, I, I just, you know, I, I want to see how all these pieces work. There are a lot of question marks with Gary Harris and Will Barton. Uh, there is a guy who we just talked to today in RJ Hampton, who is a really exciting piece. He has drawn comparisons to Russell Westbrook, Derek Rose, Zach Levine, those sorts of combo guard athletic types. Um, if the Nuggets but incredibly have, raw, right? Like he's, he's 19. So. Incredibly raw. So, so he's not going to turn into that, but like he does things physically and athletically that no one else on the Nuggets can do. Like he, he already said today, like he, he has not played a game yet. He called himself one of the fastest players in the NBA. <laughs> I saw that. Noted. I saw that. Noted RJ and you can't knock him for his confidence. And frankly, my first impression of him, like I liked him a lot. He has like an engaging personality. He's confident. Like, and I also talked to Mike Miller who's been training him 17 year NBA veteran, Mike Miller. Um, and from my read is that Mike Miller does not blow smoke, uh, you know, unless he believes it. And Mike Miller told me the other day that he thinks RJ Hampton has all-star potential. Is that going to manifest this year? No, it's not. Uh, but if they drafted another steal at 24, like uh, to, to, to potentially replenish who they have on the wing and address these borderline holes uh, in their two and their three, um, you have to feel really good about the front office decisions, the, the, the research and, and who they got. And again, just finding value. So I, I am lightly predicting. I think we see more RJ Hampton than anybody is ready for, um, given the question marks on the perimeter. So uh, already d- jumping in the draft here, you've got RJ Hampton. They traded into twenty-four to grab him. Uh, very uh, classic Nuggets situation in the draft. There, guy falls. They come in, scoop him up. Um, uh, somebody who had been, you know, rated highly coming out of high school. So in the same vein as Bull Bull, is the same vein as Michael Porter Jr., uh, picking up a, a falling stock that maybe the price uh, should have been a little bit higher. Um, they also draft uh, Zeke uh, Najee. Is that, am I saying that right? You got it, Najee. Uh, Zeke Najee. I watched him play at Arizona quite a bit. I'm a big Pac-12 fan, so I, I get to see a lot of Pac-12 basketball. High-energy big. Uh, but he's uh, was just a freshman last year, so hard to tell if he's going to be able to come in and play right away. Mason Plumlee's gone. They just signed uh, Hartenstein. Um, Nailed it. Not not a signing that I, I I can't say I know a lot about that guy. Not not really familiar with his game all that much. Um, so does Zeke play right away? Uh, are we going to see a lot of minutes from Hartenstein? Are they just going to eschew having big? another big come off the bench and just play small. Like what do you see there? Yeah. I mean, it's a really fluid depth chart right now. Like after the top four or five, I'm not sure where it goes. Um, but I, I think what I was told is there is an expectation that Zeke is already good enough to play 10 to 15 minutes a night in terms of just an energy guy. Like he can fill in Mason Plumley minutes. Like that's not that difficult to kind of project. Um, clearly there wasn't that much confidence in him doing that consistently or without giving him some insurance, uh, which is why they went on and signed Isaiah Hartenstein who played the last two seasons with the Rockets. Um, and what's funny is people around the league value him more than you would think 
for the last guy on the roster. I'm not trying to suggest he is anything more than a backup big, but I'm uh, cautiously suggesting he's a little bit better than your traditional backup big. Um, I, I can't tell you how many of my Twitter mentions were flooded with Rockets fans who were ticked off that they let Hardenstein go. Oh, really? Now, yes. Now, maybe, maybe Rockets fans just go deep. And maybe this was a result of the Daryl Morey decision, him going to Philadelphia. Maybe there was a break there. I don't know. But like I was told that there could be some, you know, modicum of value in bringing in Hardenstein. Um, make of it what you will. He may be the initial, the primary backup big, just because he has more experience. Like you said, Hardenstein was only, or, or Najee was only a freshman at Arizona. Um, and then in terms of the two picks, like, I think the like, you know, I, I think the Nuggets did really well that night. Um, they clearly needed a big guy. That's why they took him at 22 and not Hampton at 22. They clearly needed a big guy. They got a big guy. One thing about Najee is he's a lot bigger than you realize. I think he's like six eleven, seven feet, and about two forty or two forty five already. And I've seen him shoot three pointers, and it looks better than one would think for a seven footer shooting three pointers. Um, that, that's a glowing endorsement. <laughs> that's, that's what we do here. That's the name of the podcast <laughs> segment: glowing endorsements. Um, so. Uh, I think he projects as a guy who might be able to knock down an NBA three at some point. And then in Hampton, like I was told that they just love him. Like they thought he was going to be gone in the top 15 picks. And the fact that he was still there, uh, like you said, he was a top five recruit coming out of high school in Texas had offers from Kansas, Kentucky, Texas tech, Memphis, and said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go to New Zealand. Uh, you know, ostensibly to get, uh, to play against professional competition, but I'm sure that salary didn't hurt either. So they've got all these young assets. Uh, you say it's not entirely out of the question that they're not, that they're done, that they, they, there might be other moves to be made. Obviously that's not in free agency. They don't have the money, uh, or the cap space. What they do have is a lot of young, intriguing players, uh, they did just sign uh, Bull Bull to a contract uh, two years, I think, what, $4.4 million? Am I saying that right? Yep. 4.1, but 4. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they have all these pieces. Um, if you're going to wager a guess, who are they going to try and use to bring in some other player if, in fact, they decide to do that later on? It's got to be Gary. Um He's the longest tenured nugget. He's been there since 2014. Uh, I know that, you know, he and Tim Connolly are close. Tim loves him. He's a great locker room guy. Uh, Unfortunately, he's had a smattering of injuries, um, core injuries. I think there's been some confidence issues. He had a a lingering hip uh, issue before he came back near the end of the Utah series. I think game five is when he came back. So he didn't play in any of the seeding games. Really, the problem with Gary is that there's not a ton of value for him right now. So I don't think his stock is that high around the NBA. Um, yeah, wouldn't, he, they, wouldn't they have to package one of these young guys with, with one of these deals to make something happen? It depends because Gary, I think, is making 18 or 19 million. So you could trade him for parts. 
you could trade him for another 19 million guy who's kind of underperforming, which doesn't do a ton for you, but you could trade Gary Harris and Monte Morris. Monte is cheap right now. And although, you know, I've reported that there's mutual interest in an extension, um, which can happen anytime throughout the year. Uh, but Monte, I do think there's real value. So if you package those two, you should be able to get something in terms of immediate help. Um, I was actually just looking at, this is a total tangent. I was looking at what the Atlanta Hawks did this off season. And if anybody can explain to me what they're doing, I would love to know because <laughs> they have an offer sheet out on, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings. So they, you know, they may be the beneficiaries of that whole ordeal. They have Kevin Herter. They have Chris Dunn. They have Danilo Gallinari. They have Deandre Hunter. They have, uh, John Collins. Like, what are they doing? And to me, I look at the Hawks as a place that has some pieces that you could potentially, uh, you know, find some common ground with. Like, I think Kevin Herter is a really good player. Um, and I don't know why they brought in two other shooting guards. It, uh, they might bring in Bogdanovich, assuming the Kings don't match that offer sheet. So like you look at places that have overflow uh, who you could pot- potentially add to the nuggets. And that's one team that I could see. Um, I think it would be Gary and Monte. I think they're your best pieces. What do you, what's the status of Will Barton? Nobody seems to know. Um, and we're going to find out in about a week. And uh, th- those are the primaries. Like, I, you know, I think the nuggets really don't want to give up bull bull. He, he's a really curious, intriguing project that you kind of just want to see where he's going. He's been like working crazy hard in the gym this off season. So you kind of just let it play out and maybe Gary builds his value up a little uh, again, in which case you'd have to ask yourself, do we want to keep him? Do we want to move him? Um, that's one of those so-called good problems. And one of the problems that they pray that they will have to deal with. Does Bobo play this year? I think Bobo plays this year. You think Bobo plays this year? I think like 10 to 15 a night. What are you seeing? I don't think it's going to be consistent, but I think he's going to have some opportunities, blowouts, uh, games where they're trying to get guys rest. Like, I think he's going to like, everybody seems to have, you know, like a polarizing opinion on this. I think he is more a three than a five. And I don't even think that that's that crazy. Like I doubt Michael Malone would trust him on the inside, you know, battling with like, like men, like imagine him dealing with, I think he got just abused by Dwight Howard in one of the, in one of the seating games. That was one of the names I was going to bring up is Dwight Howard. How does he even deal with somebody? That doesn't. So you put him on the wing and like, yeah, everyone says he's going to, you know, a a guy's going to blow by you. If you're bowl bowl, fine. You stand five feet back and you could still block the guy. Um, so what he loses in speed, he makes up for in reach. Like, I think we're going to, I think Michael Malone is almost going to be forced to see what he has in him. Uh, you know, nobody in the organization is not intrigued uh, by the potential. Does it manifest into something useful? We'll see. But I think we, I think he's going to get a, a few opportunities and I don't think it's going to be every night, but there's, he's going to have to sort of pick and choose his moments. Um, and, and we'll see what happens with bowl. What's your starting lineup? Uh, on oh boy. first game of the season. Oh boy. All right. Jamal's locked in. Nicole is locked in. I'm going to say Gary's locked in. I don't feel great about it, but I think Gary's locked in. I think Porter's my three. And then I, 
Oh, I think I'm starting Jamichael Green. Oh, really? Millsap's not in the starting lineup. Is that crazy? <laughs> that's a little. That's a little crazy. He's okay. younger. He's thirty. Paul Millsap's thirty-five. Going to be thirty-six. Yes. I think Jamichael Green is my starting four. And Michael Malone loves Paul Millsap, though. I know he does, but he's going to like Jamichael Green as well. They they they're similar. He's a good three point shooter. I think he's a career thirty seven percent three point shooter, um, which is you know better than anyone you know better than Jeremy Grant has been throughout his career. Yes. Um, so that's my tentative guess. I don't feel good about that. And like you can't feel great when you have three spots that are debatable. Like sixty percent of your starting lineup is like yeah, likely, probably. <laughs> I would. I mean, I guess because they don't have a better option at the two, Gary's more likely than Michael Porter to start. But like those four, I feel pretty good about. Maybe the biggest questions at the four. I, I really don't know whether you go Millsap or Green. So we haven't said his name once yet, um, and he was arguably the third best player for the Nuggets last season, uh, up until the bubble, obviously. Uh, Will Barton, what what's the story there? Yeah, I mean. He's been in Miami for weeks rehabbing his knee. Um, I've been told that he's in regular communication with Tim Connolly. Um, other than that, he's kind of just doing his own thing. Like, you know, he, he left the bubble before the postseason started, right at the beginning of the postseason, uh, to rehab his knee under kind of the premise that there was better facilities and more resources outside of the bubble. Um, may or may not be true. I don't know. Uh, you know, while I was in the bubble, I didn't see all of their, you know, weight training facilities and all that. Um, the other thing we do know is that Will Barton was really unhappy in the bubble. Uh, like very unhappy referred to it as jail on a podcast. Um, so, you know, was he, was it 80% trying to leave 20% under the under the premise of better resources, rehabbing resources outside. I don't know. I haven't talked to Will, but um, just imagine if your knee was that messed up to where you needed to leave, weren't able to play after four or five months off previously, like, are they, is he really going to be able to turn around in 65 days and participate in training camp? How much can you rely on a guy like that? Um, Those are the questions. I think what the nuggets are asking themselves and, this isn't like the, the first time the knee injury cropped up was last February. And if you remember, there was a ton of injuries to the nuggets in January and they threw like Will Barton was playing like 33, 34 minutes a night. And I think that that's where it initially cropped up because I once asked Michael Malone about this and I go, what do you attribute to that to, you know, was it overuse? And, and he goes, are you accusing me of overplaying Will Barton? <laughs> <laughs> that was his, that was Malone's answer to me. Um, but then he, he, he stopped getting snippy and he said, yeah, I concede it's probably overuse. So, you know, we, we kind of, I, I can only speculate. I don't know, uh, what will status is, uh, frankly, or, or fortunately they have a six foot 10 guy who can shoot the lights out, uh, who will have no problem stepping into that hole. So Michael Porter Jr. starts. Uh, are we seeing twenty-five to thirty-five minutes a night for this guy? Is, is that is that what's going to happen this year for MPJ? I mean, it depends on how many uh, defensive lapses he has in five-minute spans. Like 
those seem to compound sometimes. And you can, I mean, you MPJ is one of the easiest players on the whole team to read his body language. And like, he needs to get better at compartmentalizing and moving on. Um, if instead of wearing, you know, a, a, a lapse for a couple possessions in a row, because those tend to spiral and he needs to, those need to, that needs to stop happening. Like if you get beat or you lose a guy or you miss a rotation, move on. Like they can't snowball. Um, if they snowball, Michael Malone will yank you. Uh, I don't know who he's going to put in. Cause Tory Craig is now in Milwaukee, but um, you know, Michael Porter is, he's going to have a lot more responsibilities now that Jeremy Grant is gone. And man, I cannot wait to see the push pull of the trust. He can try to gain in Michael Malone versus the frustration uh, that he might uh, provoke in Michael Malone. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a really interesting thing. And, and, you know, again, it's one of those good problems to have. You need to develop Porter. Like you just need to see if he can play defense. And uh, to his credit, he's already a, like three times the rebounder that Jeremy Grant is. Like at least are, he knows how to how to hit the glass. Are we past the point of worrying about his health and putting minutes on his body? So that's an interesting question. Um, I wouldn't, I would say it's an ever present concern, but it's at least, it's at least back of the mind at this point. Um, he was playing, I think 25 to 30 during those seeding games and then played significant minutes in the postseason. So, uh, I think Malone has been asked that too. And he goes, you know, we monitor it just like we monitor anybody else's minutes, but like you have to feel good that he was able to put on that type of consecutive minutes. Um, once we were down in Orlando. So I don't think we're fully past it, but like, uh, you know, you, you have two back surgeries within a, a two year span. You're not going to just forget about that. Um, but as of now, like, you know, the upside is there and the, the reservations are starting to, uh, minimize. So before we, we get into our last little segment here, um, one thing I want to go back to, because uh, we haven't talked about it, there was a lot of talk about the Nuggets possibly going after Drew Holiday in a trade. Um, and uh, obviously that didn't happen. He went to Milwaukee. Milwaukee offered a King's Ransom uh, for, for Drew's great player. Can I say, in my copy that night, I put Godfather offer and someone took out Godfather offer. <laughs> that wasn't me. It wasn't me. I, I will. Uh, I will say that. So, um, how close were they? How, how close was that to happening? Well, I know this is uh, this is going to be unsatisfactory, but I know that they finished number two. Okay, I don't know that that will anyone will sleep any better because they finished number two. <laughs> um, I like. I think that the framework that I posited. Um, which was uh, Gary or Will, Monte, Bowl, and a first-round pick, I don't think was very far off um, from what was being offered. I have, I, I've heard that. There, the only inflection point would have been either take Monte or Bowl off and add another first-round pick. That's kind of the iteration that I had heard. You tell me if 
how close that is to the Godfather offer. To me, I don't think that's that close. Um, but it just depends on how much you value Monte and what the projections you see are for bowl. David Griffin, the lead executive for the Pelicans, um, you know, he, he clearly values first round picks and, uh, he took on a, someone pointed out to me that night, like it, for as much as he received, he didn't get his top 10 pick that the Pelicans wanted. And he also took on a really bad contract in Eric Bledsoe. So, you know, but, but, but again, the bottom line is to get that for one guaranteed year of Drew holiday is pretty unbelievable. And who are we talking about here? Are we talking about Anthony Davis or Paul George? Are we talking about a 30 year old drew holiday? Like here's what, here's what I think happened for six or seven months. NBA Twitter worked themselves up into a drew holiday as a first ballot hall of famer because <laughs> we were so trigger happy to get a transaction that he became, we, we conflated or, or we, we inflated his value so much that David Griffin benefited. We like everyone in the Twitter sphere bandied about his name so much that David Griffin was like, you're right, guys, this is a good guy to flip. I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into real assets. And he did. So were the nuggets close. I don't know. I don't know how close, I don't know how seriously uh, the Pelicans viewed, you know, that potential offer. Um, but they thought they were close and they felt they were aggressive and in reality, they didn't need to be as aggressive as Milwaukee. That's ultimately why it didn't happen because there, there was a clock in Milwaukee that was a lot closer to striking midnight in terms of Giannis's extension, uh, than anything getting close in Denver. So that that's my read on it. Certainly, uh, now, now seeing what's transpired over the last five days, um, I'm guessing Nuggets fans would have been a little uneasy taking on a one-year guy again on a trade and not knowing what's going to happen with that guy uh, once the offseason hits. Um, I mean, that, that makes you think twice after what happened with Jeremy Grant. Sure, but like I think you trade for a guy under the assumption that like he's going to stay. I think that you have an inclination. I don't think, you know... I don't think it's on a text message where anyone could find a record of it, <laughs> but I think that there's a, a sense and a confidence level. Like I'm pretty confident that that uh, drew holiday would have stayed in Denver. Um, I called his agent and I asked him and I said, is Denver a, a potential landing spot? And he said, uh, put it this way. Uh, drew wouldn't be upset about being there given the contention. The, the fact that they can contend. So extrapolate whatever you want. Uh, I don't know what that means. My assumption is the nuggets would have felt good if they would have, you know, like greenlit the deal. Um, but the, the grant thing is a re really good lesson. Like who knows, you know, can you really ever know a guy's intention? I don't know. So uh, a lot of small moves made in the last five days, I wouldn't say there was nothing really earth shattering outside of maybe Chris Paul to the Suns in the sense that now they have to be taken seriously. Um, and, uh, and then obviously the drew holiday deal that, that uh, maybe changes the calculus a bit for Milwaukee. 
um, and and takes New Orleans back out in a way that it who kind of hard to see them as as a playoff contender now. So you're you're looking at all these moves. Uh, the Lakers sure as heck look like they're better. Um, Clippers, it's debatable. Uh, I, I certainly I like what they did in the sense that i have always been a big fan of uh, I can't remember his name right now. Baca. But yeah, yes, of, of Serge Ibaka. I, I think he's a great player and he's won a championship. Um, and he was a a good part of that championship team with Toronto. Where are you putting the pecking order now in the West? Is it clear one, two Lakers, Clippers? Uh, what do you think? I don't think it's clear one, two Lakers, Clippers. I think it's clear one and like then a smorgasbord of Western Conference teams. Like I, I saw something that was kind of interesting where. Uh, there was a projection of the range that teams could be. And so, you know, Lakers was like one or two Um, Clippers was like one to four, Uh, you know, Phoenix, for instance, was like three for not three through nine, right. They can finish anywhere in there. The nuggets in this random person's projection, I'm not going to cite it because, you know, I don't know how much credibility it is, but I do think that there is value to it the nuggets had the widest gap of any team in the West. So they like this projection had them anywhere from the two to the eight seed, which I don't think is that, I mean, I I don't think they're going to finish as the eight seed by any means, but like who's to say that Denver is markedly better than uh, Portland or Utah, which is getting Bogdanovich back Um, or you know, Houston's probably worse. Like you can't really say where Phoenix is because they got so much better. They're probably in the playoff picture. Um, Golden state, where do you put them now? Are they a six or a seven? Uh, as a result of the clay, you know, clay injury news. So I, I realize I haven't given you a hard number, but I, but like, I, I could honestly see the nuggets finishing anywhere from, the three to the six, three to the seven seed. I don't think anything is outlandish. Um, you know, it's going to be jam packed, uh, in the Western conference. Are we, are we forgetting? Is there any bad omissions? Um, well, the, the Clippers, we haven't, I mean, we, we, we said the Clippers to me, the Clippers are the one that are, that are the most interesting. Um, and certainly the jazz, uh, there, there's some intrigue there. Dallas, Dallas, I, right? I want to. I'm. I'm. The, the thing with Dallas is, is what happens with Luca? Does he get even better? Is is Luca going to be even better this year? Because if he is, and Kristaps Porzingis is healthy, another that's a big if. He's uh, not healthy. He had off season knee surgery. Yeah, it, what so, I'm saying, he's healthy at some point in the season, and they have him. All right. Well, if we're talking seedings, I. I mean, a healthy Porzingis, the Mavericks are ahead of the Nuggets. Uh, Probably, but without a healthy one, I'm saying the I'm pegging the Nuggets better than the Mavs this year. So, look, if I'm the Nuggets, I'm hoping I, like my goal is to get a top four seed again. That's my that's what I'm shooting for. If I'm the Nuggets, very realistic. I really think two through six, seven is going to be very fluid. Um, but you mentioned the Lakers; they just won a championship rather handedly, and they got significantly better. Like that is scary. They got Montrez Harrell. They got Dennis Schroeder. Uh, they got Wesley Matthews. They brought back KCP. Like all those they moves. Got one. They also added Marcus Saul. 
They added Marcus All. Like, and they added uh, the 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 Morris brothers. The 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 Markeith, Morai, yeah. yeah, the Morai, uh, Marcus and Markeith or Markeith. Like, they got significantly better. So, to me, there is a to me there is a clear uh, team that you're chasing, and you know. I don't know how the Nuggets make that up. I don't know if they if there is even the firepower out there in the front court to to try to make up that gap. Um, we saw what LeBron and AD did to them in the in the Western Conference Finals. They just bolstered that front court. So, to me, everyone's chasing the Lakers until I see reason to uh, devalue or you know not elevate the Lakers to to work title favorites, repeat title favorites. I don't really care what the pecking order is below them. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I, I'm going to put this one thing out there. Um, what if LeBron's a little bit worse? What if he's finally, age is finally going to start catching up with LeBron? He's what, 36, 35? Yeah, 36. 36 years old? That's, uh, let me tell you something. I've, I've been 36. Things change around that time. Uh, it, it gets a little different. Um, so possibly, now, granted, that's LeBron James we're talking about, not Matt Schubert, uh, mere mortal. LeBron James, um, crazy athlete who is indestructible. But I don't have maybe. I don't have an adequate joke for that. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I'm saying is is it's entirely entirely believable um, that maybe he slows down a little bit, takes a step back. Uh, maybe that doesn't matter because his basketball IQ, his basketball brain is so large that that he can find other ways to be effective. But um, but certainly I think that's probably the hope for everybody is that he's a little bit worse. Yeah. And on those nights when he rests or on those nights when he takes off, Montrez gets you 20 and 10 or Dennis Schroeder gets you 18 and six. Like they addressed the potential that he you know, winds down a little bit. They addressed it. Like it's terrifying how the rest of the NBA allowed this to happen is laughable. Like imagine if Dwight Howard didn't have his Twitter snafu and he was back in their front court. Like maybe everyone wishes that that had happened. And it wasn't Marcus all who was going to uh, the Lakers. So to me, maybe LeBron, you know, maybe father time catches up to a degree. Like, I don't know. We're, we're two months removed from him dominating, um, winning finals MVP, you know, him, him killing the playoffs. Like I'll believe it when I see it with LeBron. Like I, I've been, I've been paying close attention to LeBron for almost two decades now, uh, from Northeast Ohio. He played my high school in basketball and football. Like I've seen this guy. He is a freak of nature. He, uh, although he's no Matt Schubert. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, we're a week away from training camp starting. You ready? Stop it. <laughs> no. How was that break? How was that like month and a half break? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It was, I guess it was great. <laughs> it was fine. Like, like people around the NBA are like, are we really doing this? Is this happening? Like we just wrapped up a crazy experiment in Orlando and we're really going to just turn around and do this again. And like, it's not like we have this pandemic under control. It's not like we have any sense of when fans will be allowed consistently in the arena. Um, 
it's like the NBA had like a, a, a moment of Zen where they were like, yep, we really have no idea. We're just going to keep going with this and press fast forward. And anyone who covers the league is like, cool. You know, reporters were already somewhat at the mercy of the team. We're, we're now at the mercy of the team and the virus. So, and our Wi-Fi, cause I need my zoom calls more than anything right now. <laughs> so that's kind of the state of things. I guess we're starting on Monday. Um, and you know, speaking back to the podcast and trying to do this regularly, we are hoping to do this, uh, I don't know, on a weekly basis, if not more so. And, um, are really excited to get it going as a new platform. Like Matt and I love riffing on this. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled that you're a basketball guy and we can get deep into it. Um, so, you know, stick around for it. I, you know, I feel like I have pretty good insight into where this, where this team is. And, uh, I would love to share it in as much as I can. Um, you know, when I'm not writing it, you know, however many articles a day. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, glad to have you back. Glad to talk to you, uh, for the first time. And, uh, since Corona came around and ruined our lives. Right. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can do this a little bit more. So we'll talk soon. Thanks.